Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. What sets apart a product manager is not their technical skills or their quality of the writing. That's not what separates out a, a decent product manager from a great one. It really is about how well they work with others, how they get people to move together towards their vision without the technical authority to require them to do so. One of our instructors says it's product manager, not product dictator, right? You gotta get people to see your vision and move along. So that means that soft skills matter. In fact, as our guest has shared with me, a Stanford research group study found that 75% of job success is based on soft skill mastery and only 25% on technical skills. So the question is, how do we practice those soft skills and strengthen those muscles? And today's guest is here to help us answer that question. Because today we are joined by Elizabeth Hodis, founder of HIL Training. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. This is going to be fun. It is going to be fun because it's such an important topic and it's so easy to overlook soft skills or to think that, oh no, I'm just not blessed with amazing interpersonal skills and therefore I will never succeed. But you, that's not true. You have great ways of tips of helping people strengthen these. So first, just give the audience a little bit of background about you and your journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of ended up on this journey by accident. Uh, which I guess it was a very happy accident. Uh, about 17 years ago, I wanted to take an acting class. I thought that would be fun, a different thing to try. And I had a friend recommend uh, going to this theater to take the class. And when I, quit, when I walked in, I saw just pictures on the wall of all these famous comedians, you know, like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, you know, you know pretty funny people. And my heart just sank. Because I looked at this and I was like, oh no, this is a comedy class. I'm going to die. I'm not funny. This is going to be worth three hours of my life. And I just like, I'm like, I paid the money. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to walk in the room. So I, it took a second to muster myself and my courage. So I walked into the room and I found out I was actually taking an improv class. And I had no idea what that was. I was completely confused. Uh, so I walk in and my instructor, you know, introduces himself and, you know, and we all introduce ourselves. And uh, what I quickly realized just in the first class was that improv uh, is just the fundamental skill of having unscripted interactions and uh, making, having us do uh, different games and exercises to make sure that the interactions that we have between each other are as impactful as possible. And that just really hit home to me. And before, just like you said earlier, you know, before I, I really kind of thought you're blessed with this, these amazing interpersonal skills or you're not, you have this or you're not. And what I quickly realized was that's not true. We tend to be conditioned in a certain way or because of uh, different constraints that were put on, we, we limit ourselves in terms of our uh, interpersonal skill development. And improv was such a freeing way for me to start opening up and practicing those skills and muscles. Um, while all that was happening and while I was taking this class, I was actually working uh, in sales and marketing. And I noticed a 
a, a shift in my performance, how I was feeling, um, even just my comfort in front of people, uh, just all of these little changes that started happening. And it refocused my mind and changed some of my intentions behind what I did or how I interacted with people. And it was subtle as I started taking more and more of these classes and learning more about these principles that I felt my work life really changed. And so over the course of my career, I saw other groups who practiced these fundamental principles. And I saw how they all really just kind of came together and they wanted to work together. They wanted to create material. They looked for different ways to work together. And they came up with some really creative, amazing work. And I noticed the difference between groups who practice this skill and this muscle versus groups that didn't. And so that's actually what sparked me about three years ago, maybe a little over that now. Um, yeah, I think it's a little more than three years now uh, to start transitioning my career to working in this field and bringing this type of work to individuals and teams and organizations so that they can feel the power behind what it is to actually practice these muscles because they're very difficult to get at in a, for a variety of reasons. So about three years ago, a little over, I transitioned my career and ever since then I've been working with different companies, teams, and people to develop these, these type of skills. Awesome. All right. So let's break this down a little bit for our listeners. When we talk about these types of skills, what skills are we referring to? Awesome. I love that question. So defining soft skills. Soft skills are called soft skills. They might be called strategic skills. They might be called human skills. There's a lot of different names. But really what we're talking about is the interpersonal relationships or interpersonal uh, skills. So that's your active listening, your engagement, your motivation, your communication, your empathy, uh, that type of thing, uh, your communication style. So all of those soft skills are really what, when I say soft skills, those are, those are kind of the, some of the, uh, I would say that the hits of soft skills, those are, those are some of the big buckets. The top hits. <laughs> now, if we're going to do greatest hits of soft skills, those are probably them. That's quite a song collection there, I think. <laughs> all right so and then i mean I, I think we all see it but but why do you think teams that are strong with these interpersonal skills do better yeah well i think there's one teams that have these skills there tends to be a developed level of empathy that i see um a, uh, like a postponed judgment or a uh, instead of having a judgmental attitude towards each other or towards ideas or work that's coming through they tend to suspend that and approach it from a, uh, my, your intention is this, or uh, reframe their mindset to being like, I'm understanding and I'm curious about what you're bringing to the table versus I'm gonna shut you down. They also, a big part of what I see is when they start to have an equal distribution of contribution in the team. And I think this is especially important because it makes sure that everyone's voice on that team feels heard. And when we're talking about collaboration, when we're talking about making sure that we can get at these skills, if people start not feeling heard or they feel like their voice doesn't matter, if they bring an idea to the table and they're judged or shut down, that's what leads to a lot of what I call, this is me, uh, a lot of people will know like the tech debt. I call it communication debt. So they start building up that communication debt. So, uh, you know, those little things that, that shut down when someone, you came in with an idea and someone just shut it down either by using the language technique of literally saying no or if they were, you know, 
just shut it down in general or you know didn't move forward or didn't explore your idea that starts to wear on you and all of those little moments start to build up and that's what causes hesitation that's what causes disengagement demotivation uh that's what starts to break down some of the uh, dynamics in the team and the trust and that's when productivity suffers our bottom line suffers our projects suffer all of that so it's very important for us when we look at teams to make sure that we have that kind of equal distribution on the team and teams who successfully you know practice these soft skills and it's not just like a, a one-time thing where i've done like i've done one exercise and active listening and i've got it it's not that <laughs> it can't be it's almost like if you're exercising and working out and you're doing a squat you've done one squat great now we have to keep doing it to build that muscle and teams that actively take that approach of like hey we're going to going to postpone judgment and go for understanding instead, when they actively practice that or introduce that into the day-to-day -day behavior that they have, even if it's just calling it out at the top of a meeting, being like, hey, this meeting is brainstorming. In this brainstorming session, we're, not, we're going to postpone our judgment. We're gonna go for understanding and curiosity within the confines of our constraints. So it really does open up that conversation. So I think that's why we start to see teams, when they apply these skills, be more successful and have a higher level engagement, uh, employee happiness, which we all want to be happy. And one of the best things in my career is I've all, like what I want out of my career is always to be happy, be laughing and share that with others. And it really does work when we start talking about these teams when they can find that fun and enjoyment of working with each other. I mean, I think it's more productive. It's uh, longer, you get to keep your employees longer. And I love the concept of comparing it to technical debt, right? We all have software products, we inherit technical debt, and we know how that gets in the way of all the forward progress. And communication debt, as you described, is very similar. Uh, again, it's not gonna be one trust exercise and boom, everybody's like, you do value me. It is an equal partnership, right? It's gonna be a lot of testing those lines. So um, in addition to stating that it's important, how else can people really build that up within a team? I think it's just actively practicing it. And I know this sounds uh, a little bit silly and it will feel silly at first, but I think it's bringing these exercises and activities into the team so they can practice the muscles together and grow together. And it's as simple as like, not even just saying, hey, this is really important. It's taking some of these exercises and applying them into your team before meetings, during meetings, even on conference calls, but also like the little things that um, in observations, a lot of things, what I when I see or when I look at teams, uh, how often do we come to our meeting and we just pull out our computer? I know we're all so busy and we all want to get out that last email before the meeting starts. Um, but that actually does start to accrue another type of communication debt because then we're valuing um, when we start to the team, we want to start just by making eye contact with people, uh, saying hello, uh, seeing people in the room because when we see people in the room and when they see us, we feel more connected and we feel a little, we feel more a part of that process, even though it's so tempting to come in the room, put out our computers, pull them up and start to like quickly finish out the last Slack message or whatever that may be. It's so important for us when we come together to put that aside for a second and just talk. And it's very challenging, but those type of things, uh, when we say we wanna increase this or when we say we wanna do this, we have to actually put it into practice in very little ways. Uh, saying hi to people in the kitchen, if we're remote working, turning on the camera, um, as hard as that is, and I understand my hair days are not perfect. Um, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, oh, people saw this hair. 
oof. Um, but <laughs> it, even though that is the thing, that, that human connection cannot be replaced. And that those little ways start to build up a larger uh, practice of trust and a feeling of connection between the team members. Did that answer the question? I want to make sure I heard that right. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's some exercises and I actually think the the human connection is is important. Um, one of the things as we've gone with more and more remote employees is there's a struggle in that part is our meetings will start and they're a little bit casual and there's some brainstorming and some teasing and, and it's a lot of bonding in those meetings. But as a, if the majority are together and one or two are virtual, um, I think it's harder for them to participate in. So that's one of the areas that we've, we've struggled to have them feel as part of that, um, us and the others. So. Yeah, you're not alone. I keep hearing that. It's, it's more and more uh, remote workers are starting to feel isolated or feel a little bit separate from the team because, you know, you don't have those quick hallway interactions. You don't have that, you know, uh, quick, you know, banter or teasing or whatever before, which, you know, seems little, but it's actually so important to have those moments. Uh, and some things that I always talk about is turning on the camera. So making sure they see your face, you can see the room. If, um, supposing they have that, that capability to do that. Uh, but there's also little things that they can do, you know, um, calling or video chatting with a couple people a week, just, you know, checking in, carving out that time to have those quote unquote hallway moments with people. Even if it's a five minute, hey, quickly want to check in, see how you're doing. Whatever that may be, as hard as that feels to carve out in the time because we have so much on our plates, especially in these roles, so much is on the plate. Uh, but it's almost that, that philosophy of we almost have to slow down a little bit to make sure we can get farther. That makes a lot of sense. So we talked about some exercises. Can you give us a couple of examples of exercises that we could do with our team? Oh my gosh, yes. Ooh, I just clapped. Uh, <laughs> I think she's excited. <laughs> <laughs> I get so excited. There's so many different ones. I think if, if we're um, just kind of continuing on the theme of remote working, uh, a big problem can happen is, you know, maybe people aren't sharing their voice on the call or feel hesitant on the call, or, you know, people are talking over or not listening, or there's a variety of things that can happen, especially on like a conference call, let's say, or if the team's coming together. An exercise I love to do uh, to either kick off a call or in a group setting, whatever that may be. Um, whatever your constraints are, is called countdown. And despite the fact that it's called countdown, you actually count up. Uh, so, <laughs> I know the little 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 mind games that they play with you. Uh, the the countdown exercise is one of my favorites, and I think it's because it gets at a variety of muscles. Uh, so on a conference call or even in a group, if you're in a group like in person, you'll just have everyone close their eyes. On a conference call, obviously, you, you know it's nature of the beast that you don't have to worry about the visual. Um, so what you do is the whole group is actually going to count to 20, uh, one at a time. So it would be like, I would say one and, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca, you might say two, and then, you know, someone else might say three. If at any point, uh, someone talks over you, if at any point a pattern emerges, if at any point someone says, uh, consecutive numbers. So if I said one, two, uh, you have to go back down to one. So you have to start again. It, it's such a simple exercise, but it really does work because then you hear, oh, this person, oh, they tend to go really fast after, you know, someone else speaks or you pick up the breathing patterns, uh, the pauses, 
you can start to read some of that energy that's in the room and your, your listening is heightened because you don't have the visual. It's really nice to do that. And that way everyone gets comfortable just sharing their voice. Uh, they get comfortable working together. And also on the flip side, it actually helps train our focus muscle and train, um, loosen up our sense of like that success failure bias that a lot of us carry around and carry into our work. So a success failure bias uh, simply means it's like we get hung up. It's right, wrong, good, bad. Uh, we win, we lose. And we, we just have that naturally a lot in our uh, in Western thought. And an exercise like this trains us that instead of like, oh, it failed, it didn't work, um, just chuck it. It trains and teaches our muscles to be like, oh, okay, someone talked over each other or you know, someone went consecutive numbers, whatever, a pattern emerged. We go back one, uh, down to one, we refocus on what our goal is and what we want to achieve. And then we go back down to one and we keep practicing that muscle. So instead of getting hung up on like, oh, we failed, this you know, doom and gloom, the world is ending, everything's horrible, et cetera, uh, that can happen. We, we actually refocus that muscle and stay, stay focused on the problem or what we are trying to solve, understanding our constraints. And when we talk about creating like a learning culture, that's a big thing that's, you know, a lot of organizations want to embrace. And they're like, we want to embrace failure. Well, we have to practice failure or we have to practice these muscles and loosening that bias that we have of, oh gosh, I failed. This is the worst. Or, oh, we succeeded. Everything's like getting rid of some of that and just saying, hey, okay, if that way didn't work, we're going to start again. We're going to keep going and keep our mind focused on that. So there's a lot of muscles that get into that simple, simple exercise that you can do with your team to help loosen some of those biases that we have, some of that mindset, you know, that we have and really start to refocus on the problem and working together as a team. And every time I do this exercise, it never have I had a situation where this didn't happen. When, when the people get to 20, everyone cheers. And that's, I think, one of the biggest things that we can do as a team. Everyone contributed as part of that process because everyone was involved and everyone succeeded together. Uh, no one blamed someone for being like, you missed this part and this part. We're like, okay, that happened, awesome, let's regroup, let's get going, let's move on. And then when we succeed, we succeed and we celebrate together. And it's, it's switching that mindset to really bond people. Well, and there's a lot of things. I mean, it, it sounds so simple and yet I love doing it at the start of the meeting and it kind of helps everyone set the tone of the breath and the waiting. I mean, it's, it's almost, I find conference calls very hard to not either talk over or almost under, right? Uh, yeah. So it's a great way of setting the pacing. And then to your point, failing in a spot where you're all in it together and it's, it, the stakes are low and it's not emotional or personal, right? Yeah. Failing at uh, more in-depth conversations that can carry a lot of communication debt. The other way just feels like an exercise of all of us towards the same goal. Yeah. And I, I love that you talk about it because you probably have this experience, you know, just like anyone, like all of us where it's like, oh, we can get so frustrated when we have a larger project that we're working on. And we just see these things that happen you're like that didn't work. It can be very discouraging. And there's an emotion that can be tied to it, like you were saying. Um, and it's removing some of that emotion for it and being like, okay, that happened and being more objective about it and saying, okay, that happened. Awesome. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just happened. Let's refocus. This is what needs to happen and going for and accomplishing it. <laughs> Actually, it's, 
it's really great to take this into your everyday life too when you know something comes up or if you have you know your internet goes out and you have to call you know customer service which is always a good to do <laughs> and you're like you can get emotional you can be like this is so frustrating or you know saying okay all i need is my internet fixed let's just get there uh so it actually does translate into you'll find it like spills over well, and it's, it's a tough balance, right? Because I think some of the best employees are absolutely emotionally invested in the company and that's why they go above and beyond. Absolutely. But that also means that sometimes the, the balance and the perspective gets a little lost and figuring out how to steep, keep caring, but yeah. not in a way that it brings you down is a, is a tough balance. I love that you brought that up. I, I think that's so true because passion is absolutely a part of why we do what we do. We really enjoy it. We are invested in it. These are, this is our career. This is what we want to be doing. And like, yeah, that passion can sometimes work against us uh, in, unless we start to reframe it in our mind. So it's like, we want it to serve us in the best way. And then when something happens and you know, it hits us really hard, um, giving us some tools to handle that so that it doesn't derail us. Awesome. All right. Do you have time to give us one more exercise we might oh. try? Yeah. Okay. Uh, another exercise. What can I get two? Of course. <laughs> uh, um, this is a warm up, and this might be if you have like a big meeting that's happening, or if you have like a day where you know it's just going to be a tough, tough day, and you know it. Um, I love this exercise it's called high five, low five, eighties five, and. <laughs> I know the 85 is like that freeze frame five from the eight, 1980s movie where everyone kind of freezes in midair and uh, high five. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to watch in the world and my favorite thing to do. <laughs> uh, and then make up your five. So everyone goes around and you five, well, you find one person to give your high five to, you find someone else, you'll give a low five to, and you'll have that. That'll be like your high five partner, your low five partner. Um, you have your 80s five partner which is the best freeze frame moment of the day and probably your only freeze frame moment, <laughs> right. I say. Uh, and then you find someone else and you'll make up your five and the energy it just it's an opening exercise because a lot of times um you know just from the daily grind and i get into this habit too and you know i'm sure you you probably find yourself having this as well is when we just kind of our shoulders kind of slump forward and you know it gives us a moment to kind of push our shoulders back uh, give someone a high five. It's opening and being more receptive as opposed to closed off and coming from a place of like no or hesitation. It just opens up and it's really hard to be in a bad mood when you're freeze framing a high five. <laughs> I don't think it happens. It just doesn't happen. Right? You're fine. <laughs> you feel good. And then people start laughing. They start to enjoy each other. Um, they're running around a little bit. Uh, their blood starts to get flowing. So if you know you're going to have a really tough day, or you know that, you know, something is going to, uh, you know, something's going to uh, be a tough conversation or a tough meeting or whatever, just starting by opening exercises are really good because then it starts to put people like, okay, I'm open, I'm receptive, we can go in this, we're all in this together, let's do it. Uh, and it's also just a fun way to get the blood moving if like, it's a fun before a meeting, if you have a big high stakes meeting, you, you and your team all want to kind of just have fun together. and that people want to be around people who are having fun. And when your energy's up and when you, and in, in an authentic way, when your energy's up in an authentic way and when you're having fun with what you're doing, people want to be around you. People want to work with you. People want to be on that team that's having the most fun. 
And, you know, even with clients, like if you're having a really good time, it gets, it becomes contagious. So using these type of energy uh, exercises to increase that is really important. No, I, I think, um, I think it's great because you're, you're kind of being a goofball, right? To start, which actually just opens you up to being vulnerable and it helps you take yourself less seriously. Um, and when you do that, you're a little bit less guarded. And I think that can be a great way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and the vulnerability is super important. Um, being open and honest about that, you know, in an appropriate way. I want to preface, we don't want to get me in trouble with HR. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, let's, I'll be candid about that. But yeah, I 100% agree. Another exercise, and this is actually a little bit more, um, it kind of falls in the self-care realm. So when we're talking about keeping motivation, et cetera, uh, I always like to do exercises that like, uh, when this happens, so, and the exercise is when this happens. So you know the pitfalls of your day. You know the problems that you're going to come up. You've had this happen before. Whatever that problem may be, whatever that issue is, you write it down. So when blank happens, I'm, uh, I'm going to blank. So if it's like, you know, when I have to have a tough conversation or if a client yells at me or whatever that might be, or if an internal colleague yells at me or whatever your example is, I'm going to blank. So I'm going to listen or I'm going to um, write it down. Whatever your tactic is to handle that, uh, write that down. And then you say, and my outcome of this action is going to be blank. So by doing this action, here's the outcome I want. So if I had a, you know, uh, you know, a project that started going south, I'm going to um, stop, write down what the problem was. Uh, because I want to be able to reassess and address that problem. And that way I can move forward. So you, what you do in this exercise is you take yourself um, out of the emotional moment when it's happening and you plan. So providing that planning for when you know those pitfalls of your job are going to happen, when they do happen, you're not caught off guard. You know exactly um, how you're going to react and you know what the outcome is going to be in a positive way. Uh, this is an exercise that is extremely helpful because this keeps us engaged and this takes us off of the roller coaster that can sometimes be our work and it makes us a little bit more even keeled with it so that we know we can address things um, in a positive way that'll help us not only keep our mental sanity in the moment, but then also make sure that we can handle that situation as best we can. Does that make sense? So it's sort of admitting you know it's going to happen, it's just acknowledging how you're going to react and that by doing that, it's going to allow this other result. So it's sort of almost just writing down a plan so yeah. that, it, that you're not ill-prepared for this. Oh, exactly. And it's, 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 sometimes people are like, oh, well, I don't, you know, we, we want to make sure we acknowledge that, hey, I know this is going to happen. It's going to, things come up, whatever. Yeah. And providing that plan for yourself is really helpful. So that's another exercise. Awesome. So one more question for you. Um, as you go through some of these exercises, there's definitely teams that I've managed that I'm like, oh my gosh, this would be great for them. They would love this. And then there are teams that I've managed that it would be great for them, but they won't love it and they won't think it's helpful, right? Like there'll be resistance. So in those situations, and I'm sure you've come across them, uh, how do you help the team buy in to this concept? Sure. I mean, every, there are, you, you, there are patterns of behavior in each team um, that, you know, kind of arise in each group. Uh, teams that are more resistant or have a harder time with this are typically the ones that really need to work on these muscles. And 
it, it is kind of acknowledging like, hey, this is not a short, you know, this is not your fault. This is not a shortcoming. Uh, this is not something that uh, just kind of putting that at ease and putting them in an environment where they make sure that one, they don't feel judged about where they are at in the process. Um, and I think creating that safe environment for them to start talking about some of these um, hesitations about doing this type of work or building these type of skills or some of their default uh, behavior can come out. Uh, we first have to make sure we're in an extremely safe place that they're, they feel comfortable to do that. So we have to establish trust at the beginning. Uh, two, if, if they're really hesitant and don't want to do it, uh, we have to find different ways that they can engage with it in a positive way. So uh, there's different exercises that you can do with different teams. If they're uh, a little bit more closed off, there's different opening exercises that you can do that help them kind of ease through that muscle. So like, I'm not going to put someone who's super hesitant about doing this type of training or building this muscle into the most advanced exercise we could possibly do. That That's just going to shut everyone down uh, but if we can give if we can work on smaller exercises to start opening up those aha moments and then honestly it's just consistency of practicing it and creating that non-judgment non-judgment environment or that postponed judgment environment uh, so it does take time especially when teams are trying to learn new behavior but if we can start giving them smaller bits and pieces that they can kind of grab onto in little ways so that they don't feel like they've been called out, they don't feel like they're um, you know, in the wrong or failed or anything like that, uh, but they feel like, oh, there's little wins. And the other thing about this training that usually happens is that when we do exercises, we do kind of contrasting exercises. So contrasting exercises allow people to sit in their comfort zone and then I'll pull them out of their comfort zone a little bit. The reason I pull them out of their comfort zone a little bit is to give them a little bit of a different feel in their body because we can know like oh yeah i need to actively listen to my colleagues and i absolutely do that maybe we don't but how do we know so if it's an active listening exercise that maybe is what they're struggling with is you know listening uh we give them that listening exercise that kind of sits in their wheelhouse and then we give them a level up listening uh exercise so then they're pushed to, you know, engage and focus and listen a little bit harder because the exercise, the way the exercise is constructed, uh, it forces them to use more muscles. And then they can start feeling the difference in their body and saying, oh, actually, huh, oh, that felt different. Why did that feel different? Well, it engaged XYZ muscle that was different. And oh, that's the level we're supposed to be listening at? I, and the light bulbs start going on. Uh, another example is when someone you may, I'm sure we all have this person on our team. Uh, I call them the no person or even the yes person who says yes to everything and they get super overwhelmed, but the no person who typically shuts down, um, any idea and their intention. I always look at what's their intention. Their intention is typically not always, but typically, uh, to provide constraints or to provide that grounding force of, Hey, we have to think through this, um, part of the process. Uh, sometimes, and through no fault of their own, you know, we haven't present, they haven't uh, had that next muscle to present it in a way that other people can receive it and it still can move forward a conversation. So there's an exercise that I do where we basically start, we do uh, one, uh, one line stories and to start each uh, sentence, someone says no, and they go around and the next person says no, adds their line, no, adds their line, no, adds their line. And you can quickly see that the story goes absolutely nowhere. 
and, <laughs> which is, and everyone gets super frustrated. And, but people who are hesitant or have a hard time with this, or maybe they, they approach their work in this way, actually start feeling in their body and can see within the constructs of the story that, oh, that didn't go anywhere. And then we progress the exercise so they can, they can see when I actively listen and I build on an idea, even with providing a constraint, if it's like time or budget or whatever in a real, in a real situation, even we start moving forward with that, I can see it progresses the conversation and it gets to our goal of being able to work better on this project or work together and we move towards that focus. And I love so much of what you said there. First, I love when there's someone who's resistant, you get them on board by giving them a win first, right? You don't start with the, like, oh, they really suck at this. So let's give them one that's going to push it there. You start with an exercise that they'll be good with and then extend it so they can feel the difference. And I think, again, that's a great way as someone implementing it to think about building it into a safe environment. Yeah. Um, and then the, we all have the no person. Uh, and sometimes we all are the no person, right? Like, uh, you know, been in a place a long time with a certain type of project, you come across as the no person and, and thinking about how to provide those strengths in a different way is, is powerful stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, then we start to shift our intention from like, hey, I'm going to provide this constraint and um, being aware that that might shut it down. And we're like, okay, my intention is not to shut it down. My intention is now to provide. How can I effectively communicate that? And for everyone, it's a little bit different and everyone um, can approach it or talk about it a little bit differently, but knowing like, hey, um, I wanna keep moving this conversation forward. And how can I do that effectively? And using things like, I understand what you're saying and I hear you and this is what we're talking about. Okay, help me think through this or tell me more about this. Um, okay, we have this budget that we're you know, working in. Um, how are we thinking of fitting this idea in? So providing that way, as opposed to saying, no, we don't have the budget. It's very different, very different. Right. And, and again, budgets are real, right? It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's a needed constraint. It's a needed reminder. It's um, how do we present that in a way that allows us to maximize within that constraint and not feel constrained by it. That's a terrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, you're, yeah, exactly. And not feel like uh, shut down. Yeah, yes. shut down. <laughs> exactly. Of like, oh, and then the, again, when we go back to talking about that communication debt, uh, that's, that's where it kind of comes in when we can start reframing these little moments or giving people that, you know, maybe have these skills to work on and maybe hesitant or maybe a little bit um, more begrudgingly working on this, giving them those wins and helping them say, okay, if we tweak this and move this forward, we're moving in the right direction. We're moving in that, that technical, uh, or that technical, the communication debt is, is starting to lessen and we can see that shift happen. It, and it, it's, it's just a daily thing that we, we have to do. And that's why I always say this is a daily practice. It's not just like a one-time shot. It's taking these exercises, this mentality and these concepts back and learning how to apply that in your team in a very real way. Because honestly, like, I'm very practical. Uh, I, I just know we have so much going on and we have to fit this in in little ways throughout the day to make sure it becomes part of embedded in the way we work. Absolutely. Awesome. Elizabeth, this was amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. This is so fun. I love talking about this, as you can tell. I'm going to go give some high fives, some low fives, and I'm totally going to do a freeze frame five. And then I'm going to make one up. I got, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, it's gonna sweep the nation. We're all gonna be right? doing high fives in the street. 
maybe we'll make it a contest. Just take your picture, freeze it up. It'll be great. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. Thank you, Elizabeth. And I know you're also going to be on our webinar in, coming up. So we're excited to have you for that. And I think there's lots of great advice that people can start implementing right away. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.